Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I'm the A, his name is Q, breaking down every single sport for you. On Thursday nights from 8 to 10, we are the true voice of the fans, so you know we always win. From hoops to football, the video games, baseball, hockey, the NCAA, we give our side because that's all we know. This is a labor of love, that's why we do this show. From the Merlin Mitten to the Sunshine State, we can talk all day about who's great. Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A, Sports Q&A, we are the true voice of the fans, Sports Q&A, Sports Q&A, Sports Q&A, we are the true voice of the fans. What's good sports fans, welcome to uh, the 2017 edition of Sports Q&A. I'm Q. And I'm A. And Happy New Year. Yeah, I know we late. I mean, we like a month late. It's it's right. February second. But, you know, we had to we had, had had to do revamp some things, get some things, take a little break. But we back in full effect. Uh but before we jump into tonight's pack show, let's talk about the ways in which you can interact with sports Q and A. You can follow us on Twitter at sports underscore QA, also sports underscore QA underscore preps. You can also follow us on Instagram at sports underscore QA. Follow us on Facebook, Facebook page, Yo, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington, the Facebook group, sports Q&A, the Facebook fan page, sports Q&A. Check us out on our website, www.sportsqanda.com. That's www.sportsqanda.com. And last but not least, give us a call, 760 539 That is 760-539-3269. Happy, happy Sports New Year, Q. Same to you, sir. I mean, yeah, we, we yeah, missed a lot, like, but it's still a lot to talk about. 
Oh yeah, but it's kind of like a a, a a sports new uh, Chris uh, a sports Christmas Eve and Christmas Day all in one. The build up all right. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then Christmas Day after sixty minutes, it's all over. And now it's anticipation, <laughs> and that's kind of where we are with NFL season. Uh, but we'll talk about that a little later. But we do have some things to go uh, to talk about because there's a whole lot of sports going on, a whole lot of big stories. But we want to introduce a new segment of our show, which we're going to call, for at least for right now, Point Counterpoint. You know, people always complain or say Q and I always have the same perspective. But we don't always. It doesn't always make it to the air. But we're going to pick some controversial topics that we have opposing viewpoints on and definitely welcome you all to call in to give your, your thoughts on it as well. Uh, our first topic is the topic that a lot of people are talking about that's not necessarily sports related in the aspect of on the field competition, but it's, I think it's the age of, it's, I, at this point in time, I think it's the age old question of old school versus new school. The epic right. battle between the round mound of rebound versus King James. Um, and uh, if you if you didn't hear, uh, LeBron has gone through many, have many uh, vocal ways uh, of how he wants his team to improve by free agency or, tra- uh, or trade. Um, and Sir Charles, again, Decided to say what King, uh, what what uh, what the round mound always does. He speaks his mind. So, uh, I'll start with point. Uh, and I think this is the point that's lost in, in in the translation of everything. And I think it's lost by LeBron as well. Charles Barkley never, ever, uh talked about LeBron's game. He talked more about LeBron's sports mentality, which doesn't affect his individual uh, output, but it does affect his output from his team. Uh, And I say that to the point of where, and you saw it early in his career, or at least it was a tribute to where early in his career, LeBron was credited with making players better. Uh, at this point, that's not necessarily the case. Ever since he went to flee, uh, fled to Miami, uh, had the super team, came back to Cleveland, didn't have a super team, and helped create the super team or, or pull some strings to get management to do it, um, it's almost to the point that he doesn't even want to struggle for the season where they're not dominant, even though they're still going to win the East. Um it's a hard concept to understand from an old school point of view. I would have to, I would, I would definitely concur that. Um, people even tried to use Charles Barkley to deal with Charles Barkley at the end of his career after he single handedly got the Phoenix Suns a championship. So they did game seven, but he put that whole team on his back and carried them in one of the all-time best 
playoff performances that I've seen in my lifetime by individuals. Um, so the thing is, is that his thought process about LeBron's basketball mentality is correct. And get better as a team. Because for me, and I'm almost my point is, what does this say? Because it is a team game. I want to say under in, in my sports life, I think the most consecutive championships I've ever seen is three. Uh, and that was the Bulls. But um, that I remember. I know uh, Showtime, well, no, Showtime didn't win three. They won back to back. But or did they win three peak? Did they win three peak in 88? Or 89 was uh, the three peat. I think, I think 89 would have been the three peat. Okay. But, I mean, to me, I think it's taken out of context. I think LeBron is being overly sensitive. Um, and that's my point. Um, here we go. Because it took you forever to get you that point. But it is what it is. That's old. That's the old school way. Um, my thing is, here's the... The epitome of the AU kids get off my lawn, old man, having something to say that really didn't. I mean, I understand where Barkley was coming from, but it wasn't necessary to say no. But this is Barkley. My thing is, and I saw that Cleveland team firsthand, um, and, and this is where. I'm going to say two things. Part of it is not a counterpoint, but the other part is the, the non-counterpoint is LeBron has to realize and be smarter that this is the social media phase and everything is going to be taken out of context. The, the counterpoint is at this stage in his career, and this, this guy is 32 years old, which doesn't appear to be old for a lot of these, for a lot of fans and a lot of analysts, but when you factor in that he came straight from high school, that's a lot of wear and tear on your body. And you said earlier, Cleveland is primed to win the East, but unlike in previous years, he's going to have to play more than what was expected. Um, We've seen where guys take days off, minutes get cut as the season wears on. The way Cleveland is playing now, that's not feasible. Yes, they could be in position to win, but you got to look at Boston, you got to look at Toronto. They're not too far behind you. Um, you need, and this guy, whether we want to realize it or not, is almost about to go over that hump in his career. And he realizes, he understands, if I'm going to win another championship, especially this year, I'm going to need some help. And, yes, we get that he, he finagled the contract for Jared Smith, uh, Iman Shumpert, uh, Tristan Thompson, even being able to bring in Kyle Corbett, has, who has given them nothing. And a lot of people realize he might have been a, a bad fit for the team due to their, his style of play. 
compared to what Cleveland wants him to be as a spot-up shooter. But there was a point in that game against Dallas. He was essentially playing two-on-five. It was Jordan McRae, DeAndre Liggins, Kyle Corford, who hadn't scored. And this was like almost, I think this was in the second half. LeBron and Kyrie Irving. That's essentially you're playing two-on-five or two-and-a-half-on-five. And for a guy at this stage in his career, he understands the, the, the pressure that he's putting on himself, the pressure from the naysayers, whether he wants to agree with them or not. As far as he wants, he has to solidify his legacy with another championship and not two more. And the way the Cleveland Cavs are set up right now, that's not happening. I mean, he may get to the East. He may get out the East, but he's definitely not beating Golden State. He's not beating um, San Antonio, and he may not beat Houston if they somehow those top those are the top three three teams in the West. And right now, how Cleveland said, they're not going to win. So you play to win the games, and he sees right now he has ultimate say in that roster, in that team, and he's going to use his power. Jordan did it. And nobody cared. So that's my counterpoint. Well, I'm just going to let your counterpoint lie there because I can come back with a rebuttal, but I won't. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can agree to an extent, but, I mean, you're a championship team. You know what it takes. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, no, nah, because it's an old school statement. I'm just saying, a- as a player, you have to recognize, and maybe it's him recognizing, I can't do what I've done before. But then you have to charge and challenge your other championship teammates. <coughs> Bless you. But, yeah, I mean, the True. thing is, you can only hit that, 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 that super team button so many times uh, in there. But I, mean, I don't okay. think for him – it's about having a super team. This is at this stage because, and once again, I'll admit that the Mavs game was kind of skewed because Kevin Love didn't play. But this is having guys come off that bench that he knows he can depend on. Can you, would you be, as a player, would you feel comfortable with DeAndre Liggins and Jordan McCray? No. Half the, many NBA fans don't even know who those two guys are. So when I think when he says that, this guy misses Matthew Delavadova. This guy misses um, some of the other pieces that were there, and they're not getting what you would think, okay, with uh, Richard Jefferson still giving him a little bit. Uh, they they have a, one or two pieces. I guess for him, he just he feels they need some more. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I know we got some other stuff to talk about, but I, I happened to see, I think it came down my Twitter feed, or on, it was on social media at some point, that the, the Knicks are talking about being willing to get give up Carmelo without getting Kevin Love in return. Now, this may not satisfy his desire for a playmaker, but will this satisfy him? Enough to keep them quiet. It may not get them the championship. 
Yeah, they play they play the same position. Melo needs needs the ball in his hand like LeBron needs the ball in his hand. I, I mean, granted, it, it's, enough, it's scoring power, and you can kind of wheel yourself to that. But in clutch situations, I mean, are you really going to have Kyrie, LeBron, uh, and Melo in the game with whoever, Christian Thompson and whoever your other big is? Or are you going to do some type of crazy rotation to make sure that you got those guys in there? I don't – those – I mean, it – Defensively, I think it, it puts him in a, in a bad situation. Yeah, I think defensively it hurts him. And I'm not not I'm not I'm not saying that just because of Melo. I'm just saying Melo gets bad rap. Everybody, Kyrie, because you need somebody to be a run protector besides LeBron, depending on what position he's playing. Um, if he's playing, because that was another interesting thing I saw, and we'll get on from this topic because we'll be able to talk about this for a minute with the all-star break still having come in, come around still around the corner. And we still got a lot of basketball left to talk, but there were points in the Mavericks game where he was, he was playing center. He was a, the center on the court where they had smaller guys. So I guess it depends on the matchups and, and how Tyron Lue sees things fit. So definitely going to be interesting to see who they acquire, who they bring about. If they get mellow, do they go with some, a hodgepodge, a lesser talent like Mario Chalmers, Lance Stevenson, and those guys to kind of give them a spark. Yeah, I mean, once again, I just think, you know, where you are, not even to the all-star break right now, of course, you're not to the trade deadline, but you're in a situation where I, I hate to say the, the, uh, the infamous uh, players only meeting and really laid down where people need to step up and call people out. I mean, that to me, that's a, that's a, not necessarily a player's only meeting it takes to do that, but to be able to do that uh, and it be received well by your teammates and to adjust for it, uh, adjust to that. And I think that, that, that may be a key. And LeBron, is, as great of a player he is, and this is not necessarily not, the leadership comes out in his individual performance, I see. I don't necessarily know if people follow LeBron blindly like other great players have, have teammates follow them, like Isaiah and like Jordan and like Magic. Um, and partially with LeBron is because, you know, he was on the super team. So he didn't have those players who were substantially – uh, in skill lower than him that had to follow him because he wasn't you know at that level so um, that's to me this is a testament to me, to me more so than winning that championship in Cleveland last year the testament is LeBron where it's a lot of uh, water is quite choppy off the Ohio River how is he going to calm the waters to get to the destination or is he able to because True. you can't come back and blame it and say, "Well, we didn't have the, we didn't have the, uh, the the personnel." Where you are you really saying Della Vadova is the key, is the missing piece, for reason why you didn't win the championship? If you don't, who's buying that? I'm not. So it's just it's just things to consider. I mean, I'm not knocking them on it. Every team wants to be better, but a lot of people recognize it. it's not always it's not going to happen through. 
mid-season through additions. It's going to come through additions, additions and potential subtractions within your team that you have help. And that's the one thing. But in basketball, there's only 12 players. So you got the you got the most intimate group of players that are depending on each other than any other any other team sport. So, right. It, 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 I mean, it's good to be. I mean, people been saying it. Cleveland what lost six out of eight at one point, or four out of six something, and you you would have thought that they were eighth in the East the way people passed. <laughs> But it's just a, it's, you know, it's just a given that people just assume that they're gonna go ahead and move on. Um, we've got a lot of basketball to go. Uh, so with that, it's not time for the break yet because we started late. Let's get into what that, what the world was buzzing about yesterday, and nobody's really talking about today. Our favorite. Another favorite holiday, National Signing Day. National Signing Day did not disappoint. Um, I think that uh, it has lost a small bit of the hoopla with the large number of top players going and enrolling early uh, and not being involved in those last-minute decisions or those hidden decisions that the other players go through. When you look but at, isn't that what everybody wants? I mean, I I can recall seeing definitely on Twitter how folks were complaining about the over over the top um, announcements. I can I remember a guy announced his intention to play for Georgia by bringing out a, a bulldog. Somebody had the fancy car with the logos and the emblems on there. Or the, the, I think it was Florida State. Uh, those are the things that people dislike so much about National Signing Day. So to not have that happen as big of, as what we're used to in the past, I mean, it actually could be a good thing now. Yeah, it could. I mean, the thing is that it appeals to the generation of this generation of fans as well as this generation of players. I mean, that's kind of how how it's determined of. Who's your audience? And if right. one of the things like what Michigan does with the with the signing day, uh, signing of the stars, with that, if that brings more recruits, then you do what works. You do what works until it doesn't work, and then you do something else. Um, and I mean, and even with you bringing that up, you saw how hard. I mean, Harbaugh went from the who's who of Hollywood and everything, and he kind of toned it down this year to really putting the focus back on the players and even some of the former players and alumni of the program were received. It was better received um, in, the, in, in this instance that you didn't have the haters coming out. You you saw how many people had smart, snide comments to make about Ric Flair. What does this have to do with Michigan football? What does this – he didn't go to Michigan – yeah, this guy come out, this guy come out that weren't affiliate, really affiliated with the program, whereas now, this year you had the the Brandon Grahams, the Devin Funches, the, those guys that went to Michigan kind of hyping the guys up and then just putting the focus back on the, the, the signing class, having the early enrollees all dressed in the khakis 
and the uni- the Jordans. So I think even he realized in the program realized, okay, take the the the, the extreme pomp and circumstance. You can have a, a good showing without the over the top pomp and circumstance. Yeah, you you, def- you definitely can, and like I said, it's needed. Um, and I mean, it's it's. It's at the end of the day, it's for the kids. I mean, reality of college football is not too many things are about the kids. The NCAA and the program rules over everything. And the money rules over all of that. So it's not too many things. Uh, I mean, you even make, I mean, if you, if you go and listen to Harbaugh's the little uh, little uh, promo that they did about signing day with Nike, is that uh, you if you if you're tired of playing uh, uh playing on I'm paraphrasing. Uh, if you're tired of playing and ready to work, then come to Michigan. Because football is no longer a game when you're playing at that high level. Yes, yeah, it is. I mean, you yeah. saw, and, and a lot of schools are taking that focus and, and making it about a job, making it about business, making it about, I mean, and this is where you have some fans upset and still carry that, that whole mindset of, this is why they deserve to get paid. This is why the players need a piece of the pie because you see Alabama um, throughout the city of Tuscaloosa putting up the electronic uh, billboards with the, the recruits. And the first thing a lot of people are going to say, uh, where's the players' piece of pie in that? Uh, where's the players? I mean, well, well, Alabama, we, we can know where the, the players' piece of that may come from in speculation. Because all you got to do is look at the the, the, the athletic car lot. And for those, I'm going to post it on the page. There's been a couple of pictures circulating around social media and the Internet of the car lot in Tuscaloosa. And, I mean, I've seen everything from the, the souped-up BMW, the high-end BMW, uh, Tahoe's, um, souped-up, Chargers, Challengers. So, I mean, Alabama is not hurt. It's to the point where I saw something this year that I, I mean, you see it on a lower level with a guy that may be a, a three, a low three-star, lightly recruited, but they they convinced a guy, Urez, linebacker, Maybe I think if not a top ten at his position, maybe top twenty five, which is still a four star, to take a gray shirt over a scholarship offer from Florida State in Florida. Where they do that at? It's it's the it's the it's the promise of the potential of a national championship and making it to the league. I mean, at, at this point in time, uh, I mean you have more high school football players. With dreams, whether they're, they're the reality is is legitimate or not, of playing on that next level, so they want to do anything and everything to put themselves in that position. I mean, now you you look at, at and we look talk about Alabama. You look at Alabama, who has has had a top three recruiting class for the last seven years, I think. Um, Number one since the last seven well, years. I'm trying to be modest and give them but uh, you have four and five stars sitting two and three years 
before making the field, what are the odds of a gray shirt making that field and yeah. having an opportunity for more than two years? Because unless you're a student, you want to have two, maybe three years to show what you can do at Alabama on the actual field. Now, granted, all these guys are doing is basically learning behind these greats and truly being next man up. I mean, it's a great – I mean, but – but when you have a guy like Najee Harris, the number one recruit in the 27 class, depending on what site, but definitely the number one running back, he referenced the fact that part of his decision to go to Alabama was because of their weight room so and their strength and conditioning program. So I guess this goes back to the whole thing of that same recruit that said no to Florida, said no to Florida State. I take a great shirt. And, and maybe even sit for a couple of years because I know I'm getting the training, I'm getting, I'm in the facility that's going to prepare me to be ready to play in that third year or that fourth year. Or if I say I decide to transfer after those two or three years, I'm still ahead of the curve compared to somebody that may have gone to uh, another program, but their facilities or their coaching staff isn't up to par. So, I mean, it's just crazy how you have to consider the the mindsets of these guys. Um, I mean, we've seen, and we haven't even talked about the, the flip-flopping, the, uh, the decommits, the committing to one program, flipping to another program. Um, this uh, guy that announced, hold on, I'm going to try to find his name right quick. I just saw his uh, Jameer Calvin was thought to be a, a Nebraska lean, participated in the Army uh, All-American Bowl, committed to Oregon State, decommitted from Oregon State. Then there was some, some, some speculation and some rumors that he was going back to Nebraska. This guy ends up signing with Washington State. Um, you have a guy... Yesterday, one of the Maryland's late signees, a running back from um, Tennessee that was initially committed to Clemson, thought to be going to Maryland, he ends up in UCF. So it's, this is crazy. And this that's why and we talked about this in the planning show yesterday, how so many people had issues with uh, um, Maryland and Randy Etzel pulling the scholarship of a, a two-star linebacker after he took the job in December two weeks out. This is part of the game. You have – they want to give the schools flat. They want to give the, the the coaches hell for doing this. But you see a player – Maryland was expecting that guy, that running back, to sign his letter of intent yesterday. But he's going to UCF. Why, uh, Nebraska or even Oregon State was holding the spot for – Calvin, he's in Palouse. So where does it end and who really carries the blame? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the one thing people don't look at. you The doubles, the double side in this uh, from the players and from uh, uh, from, the, from the schools and, you know, even the coaches uh, when they when they move to other programs. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, even I mean, you look at top recruits that people still don't know. I mean, 
you know, teams are banking on them to sign or hope that they sign with them. If, if they go somewhere else, it leaves a gap in your recruiting, and you need to try to double back. But then now the talent pool has shrunk. So it's a, it's kind of a, a you know, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, it evens out for both sides. I mean, you have situations where uh, Michigan recruit uh, got a late, I mean, come on, late signing days wins. They got a, a late offer from Michigan State trying to get them away from uh, from uh, AAC school and, you know, commit stuck with it. So you have other situations like uh, with the with linebacker Levi Jones with having the shirts and taking them off for the other schools. How can you imagine being? Can you imagine being a coach on one of those teams? Yeah. Now, granted, you still don't have the letter of intent. That's the whole, the whole thing. But you see that announcement. And it's on announcement. And this guy has the shirt on. You're elated. You're celebrating because, of course, you're watching. You may even even put that phone call into him, and then now you're in that situation. So, I mean, when it comes to the players uh, and feeling bad for the players in the situation. There's a small part of that, but the thing is, as a player, you need to make the right decision. And I'll, I'll talk about it a little later when I kind of look at the real recruiting grades based on my my criteria. After the fact, um, you it, it, it was kind of surprising uh, to see with all this hoopla and all these stars and all these other things, what percentage of, of players don't end up where you think they're going to be. Um, but yeah, so what we're going to do is take a small break and when we come back, we're going to look at the national perspective of when you're looking at, we don't need to talk about Bama anymore. Everybody knows Bama won. Uh, they're just locking and reloading, trying to redeem themselves from, from losing the national championship. But, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, some teams that, that pulled some, some five stars late and where do they stand as well as some some teams who uh surprisingly did not sign uh great classes or it's a mystique or a mystery in what they're signing so we'll be right back after this uh commercial break this half hour sports q a has been brought to you by crush media group progressive greek Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Well, welcome back to Sports Q&A. We're on the other side of the 8.30 hour. Make sure you give us a call at 760-539-3269. That's 760-539-3269. Um, yeah, so we, we're still in the midst of our, our National Signing Day conversation and if you didn't pay attention uh, if you weren't able to watch if you didn't have the the automatic text sent to you uh, you missed quite a show yesterday between two teams uh, signing a plethora of five star recruits some surprises and some not uh, but two teams that really made the big push at the end USC and Florida State. When you think of this right now, you think about where these two teams are. Who 
and once again, this is kind of a huge blanket statement, but who, just off gut feeling, and you can bring in other aspects of it, who you think is in better shape? Overall? Or? Yeah, I mean, with these additions, knowing the majority of these additions are not making, going to make a, a, a impact this year. But looking where the two programs are, one's trending upward, one's at a certain level. Uh, not sure how much higher they could go from there, but what, what are your thoughts on when you look at these two teams and this? And, and, and going forward, I, I, and I think that's one thing people don't look at, good recruiting classes in previous years do affect heavily your, your next recruiting class. But, you know, what are your thoughts with, with SC and, and Florida State with these big signing classes? I mean, well, we, we know Florida State isn't too far removed from winning this national championship. Uh, they they played – they had somewhat of a disappointing year this year, but it, it's the, the acquisitions of um, Akers, a couple of five-star running backs, I think Florida State loaded up at positions that they lost some talent this year. And and there may be even guys that could come in and might not have, offer the same caliber of play that they're, or the guys that they're replacing, but eventually they're going to be enough of a help. USC, um, everybody was looking at Clay Hilton, Coach Clay Hilton, wondering can he kind of – keep things on the up and up. A lot of people were disappointed by the hire. They felt that USC should have went for a name. But this goes to show I can create a name for myself if I just do my job. Uh, they ended the season on a high note with the, the thrilling victory over Penn State in the Rose Bowl, and it carried over. Um, I think for USC, they're, they're getting back to that point where, and this, and this is kind of the same thing with Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, UCLA was up there for a couple of years while they were struggling with the, the sanctions. But now that everything, the scholarships are evened out, um, the talent is starting to come back, I think everybody recognizes USC for being the power that they are. You didn't hear, like, two, maybe two years ago, three years ago, it was UCLA that was running the state of California. Um and I, I, I consider Stanford a different situation because of the academic standards. So they're always going to kind of fall behind them, even if their classes are rated higher. They're not going after the same type of players. But UCLA, like Michigan State, ate while USC and Michigan were down. Now that you see, okay, we can believe in Clay Helton. They have a great recruiter. I think he may be the offense. If he's not the offensive coordinator, I know for sure he's a quarterback coach and former Heisman, Heisman winner, T. Martin. Uh, so that's a guy that a lot of these younger guys can connect with. So I think because of where they play and who their competition is, I got to get an edge to USC because who do they really – I mean, Stanford and who else? Whereas Florida State will still have to contend against Clemson because Clemson is not falling off. They – did a good job with a small class, and we'll talk about it in a hot second. Then you figure with the rivals of Miami potentially getting better with Mark Rick being down there, Florida State, even though 
before the, the last couple of days before signing day, people were down on the Gators. They have a situation. If they can figure out their quarterback play, those are a lot of factors that Florida State still has to contend with. Whereas USC being out west, there really isn't a program uh, west of the Mississippi that they have to contend with. Where Florida State has to deal with Alabama, has to has to deal with the, the ACC, the SEC, and now Michigan and, and Ohio State coming down trying to fill for talent. So it, I give the like I said earlier, I give the advantage to uh, USC, and it's going to be. If not next year, definitely 2018, we may see a Michigan-USC national championship game. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, you you really look at it, and I think uh, SC had four or five stars. Um, And you just see, I I mean, that momentum, and and this is the one thing that people really don't understand it, and true uh, slappy fans don't look at it this way, but when you have good recruiting classes or high recruiting classes, top five recruiting classes, you you have like a two three year window uh, to make that happen, or unless you're reloading to the extent that Alabama is, and no other team is doing that like Alabama. I would say I would probably have to say Clemson is the second when it comes to recruiting and bringing in. These, these these big classes year after year um, that you you have a really small window because you're gonna have attrition you're gonna have injury you're gonna have NFL you're gonna have all these things take place you have a really small window of everything aligning and the way that it, it needs to in order to be get, get to the I mean and then get to the playoffs which get to the playoffs you get you have a shot um, right so. And I think that's where it all boils down to. I mean, look at the situation the last few years, you was by the 10. If you haven't had a top 10 recruiting class, you're not even sniffing uh, getting to the national championship or getting into the playoffs. It just doesn't happen that way. I mean, you look at, and I'll, I'll use, you mentioned Stanford. I'll use Stanford as an example. You look at Stanford and you look at Stanford getting these high-performing high players, uh, uh, very cerebral players, uh, well-rounded players. But, you know, that's like the outlier of their team. They have six or seven of those guys, and then everybody else is kind of like, okay, we're, we had that balance of the, uh, of the academics and the athletics, but it doesn't, talent-wise, it doesn't always, uh, it doesn't line up. But you have peak coaches that can coach them up. Whereas their window maybe is a year window as opposed to other teams being two or three when they get when they uh-huh. pull in halls like this. So, um, man, look. And I, I think mean, that's what happened. That's where Michigan got caught up in this year. They were, they had the, the everything fell in line with the recruiting classes and the talent development and. This was their this was their window in 2016. The difference with the program is now with Harbaugh there, he they, he may be able to kind of keep that tide going in that right direction. Where if this was Hulk or somebody lesser, the, 2016 would have been the year, and they would have been kind of like, okay, where do we go from here? But back down to nine and five, nine and four, and, and I hate, I mean. 
people gonna hate us for saying this, but I mean, like what Michigan State did. Nobody expected the three and nine drop, but nobody definitely didn't expect them to be back up there in contention for a college football playoff. That was a perfect storm. Some mm-hmm. programs need perfect storms to get there. Washington this year was a perfect storm team. They had uh, a great, uh, a very good young quarterback, a decent running back, but then they had players like John Ross, the wide receiver. They had the defense where they had four, they had four or five guys that are going to be first and second day draft picks. That's what took. That's what allowed them to get there. Now, can they sustain that? No, probably not. And it's going to take another cycle and another growth period for them to get back, whereas USC, if that was USC in that same situation, you could easily say, okay, because we know they're bringing in a class this year with two or three five-stars, a ton of four-stars, and guys that are ready to play or ready to contribute. And that's why um, people have to look at the – the number of freshmen that played for Michigan this year as a sign of they're going to be ready sooner. You Like on one hand, you hate playing freshmen early, but if you can play them and have success, that works out. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing is <laughs> it working out. I mean, as a coach and, I, and I, as, a, as a regular friend when I was a slapping fan, I would get caught up in the in the stars and get caught up in the the size of the class and the names and all that other stuff. But as a coach, it takes some mastermind planning, not even for this year, but when you make offers and get classes, you you still focusing on this year, but still two and three years down the line and have to make that right decision of, are we going to get this and that? Like, you will have, I'll use Michigan as as an example, as the big wide receiver class they have. Highly talented wide receivers. Any of those guys could have gone somewhere else on their own. And people say, well, why are you doing that? Well, odds are, at least one of the guys are going to get redshirt. Or yeah, a, a, a small, hopefully, I mean, not even hopefully a small, but something that happened that one of the guys not going to line up. So now that adds another year to the talent that you have, you make that risk and say, okay, we have this. I have a quarterback that has a year of experience, experience, but I have now two quarterbacks, two recruiting classes of quarterbacks that I want. So by the time these guys are juniors, which are usually that year, where they make that big jump, I'm going to have my quarterback there. Uh-huh. So my thought process is this is going to be that window where we are going to be where we need to be. At that same time, in a three-year period, I'm going to have Rashawn Gary in his third year and this D-line class from this year in their second year you know that you know those are the things that you think about that it takes a lot of planning and a lot of trust in your other in your assistant coaches to put things for or you know put things in the right place and evaluate guys and everybody buying into the big picture That's and also thing. this is where it comes into play 
some of these guys aren't going to work out. I mean, you definitely talk about it when you get into your segment about where these where the where the stars fail. But if you, I mean, case in point, what happened with Brady Holt and that that issue with them skipping the year taking the quarterback? He took Shane Morris, thinking he was a golden boy. He peaked. He never lived up to the hype. You had a gap with that next year, and it cost them. You always have to think what you, you hope these guys turn out to be to live up to the hype. You hope Donovan People Jones plays like a five star. You hope uh, Oliver Martin is that go to uh, possession receiver. But something may happen. Injuries may happen so, where this guy doesn't live up to the hype. He doesn't. He may not finish his career. He may something may happen where this guy gives up football. But and if I put all my eggs in two wide receivers and that happens, I'm screwed. Whereas now if I had with me having five wide receivers, okay, I still got three other guys I can lean on. If two of them don't pan out, think about it. We've seen it. Uh the quarterbacks at uh Alabama. Who would have thought that they would lose two quarterbacks to transferring in the same year? Lucky for them. Uh, Hurts played balled out, and now, but now they're in a position. What happens if he goes down? They're down to a freshman or a little used, I think, sophomore, junior. Those are the things that you have to kind of play around with and have to appease the the the, the egos, depending on the position. And which is crazy that we talked about how other positions you have guys at Alabama willing to sit. But that's starting to come to roof at the quarterback position. You have, no, nah, I want to play. You can have a rotation with defensive linemen. You can have a rotation with running backs, even with maybe depending on how you line and work it out. A couple of positions with offensive linemen. I might have a package where I bring this tackle in and he plays tight end. But with quarterback, you can only play one quarterback at a time and have a high level of success. Right. And people don't. And that's why I guess for me, Michigan on the flip side, you have uh, Spate, O'Corn, uh, Malzone, Peters, and uh, McCaffrey. Like I said, one of these guys, if not two, are going to leave early. But now you have three there instead of having one or two on the roster that's capable of playing. And that's where the teams that really contend and win they're they're able to overcome that. I hear all the time Ohio State when a guy tra- transfers, they laugh like, okay, no biggie. Whereas if that same guy, same position at Louisville or um, Washington, he transfers, that same caliber player transfers from that school, it hurts them. And that's the difference between a, 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 a fly by night program. And a program that reloads, and that's the problem with Michigan State this year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, so we got five minutes before we get to the nine o'clock hour. So before we do that and dive into the Big Ten, before we jump into the, all the real news of the, of the hour is Super Bowl, uh, our Super Bowl action. Talk to me and give me some highlights and some lowlights about recruiting in the state of Texas and what's going on there. This is, I'm going to just say, and I'm going to keep this brief, 
and hopefully this is because uh, it's a new coach, but Texas recruiting is, is it has changed. The landscape has changed. I was glancing at uh, the top players from the DFW area, and one school was eerily omit, omitted from that list as far as commitment, and that was the University of Texas. And this isn't to say that you you had the you had two top five linebackers, Bear Browning, um, that ended up at Ohio State, Jeffrey Okuda that's going to Ohio State. They're from this area. You have a linebacker, top five position line, the five star linebacker that's going to Texas A and M. You had a couple of top tier offensive linemen. These guys are not taking the, the Longhorn, and it, it's crazy. And I guess you figure, okay, they, they, they're chasing the success. But then you look at a team like Baylor, who's amidst some turmoil that they don't really know what's going to happen. You still got players picking them over Texas. How do you – I don't care if you have a new coach. I don't care if Charlie Strong was still there and he was a lame duck coach. I would send my child to Texas before I let my child play at Baylor right now. But obviously down here they're they're seeing something different. Um and it's 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 crazy. It has to be frustrating for long longhorn supporters and fans. Now maybe it gets better after Herman comes in and get and shows something, but the days of Texas dominating UT UT dominating Texas football as far as recruiting is gone. Now SMU local team did Pretty better. They they did a little bit better. I think this is the year Chad Morris. Uh, people are expecting a lot more out of Chad Morris. He has a junior college transfer quarterback coming in that a lot of people are expecting to start. So that could help. But his recruiting classes are in their third year. His first recruiting class are juniors now. It's not red shirt sophomores. So this is where you start seeing those that fruit of his system. Um, I expect, if not, they sh- they should be closer to contending for a bowl game. And, and this is where when people talk about, I hate the, the 50 million bowl games, this is important for them. Just like it was important for Eastern making it to the to the uh, the Bahama Bowls bowl this year. Extra practice, and you get to see you get that you see the fruits of your labor labor, and now you want it even more. So if if SMU can get there, that helps. Uh, TCU did well, snagged one of the top quarterbacks in the DFW area, so they should be good. Um, Gary Patterson finds ways of getting the most out of his talent, and this is a guy, him, uh, Willingham uh, in uh, uh, Utah, they love playing. I guess now Utah isn't a, a small major, a mid-major, but still being in that small market, they're okay with it. So that's good to see him still Riding it out and uh, down at TCU, and that I mean that's pretty much what I got. I just like I said earlier, Baylor is a shot because they're still getting good quality talent despite what's going on, despite the uncertainty, and hopefully Texas bounces back quick. All right, that was a nice quick synopsis within the time frame. You came in thirty seconds early, uh, but yeah, I mean. There's so many different pieces that, that play a part. Uh, and like I said, people complain, people happy. I mean, it's the happiest day of the world. 
in the world of a lot of people for no reason. Because you never know. But the thing is, is if you look, and we talked about this when Charlie Strong first came on uh, and recruiting and how it was affected with him coming on and then how it was affected when he had changed the culture, it was night and day. So maybe yep. the new coach did, you know, him just coming on did change the mind of people not even considering it. But with, so with all that turmoil that was going on, it was no, it was a given that people, you know, those top players, especially in Texas, weren't going to go with Texas, with Texas being the great unknown. But, you know, we shall see. But on the other side of the break, we're going to get a little deeper. It's been about 15 minutes talking about the Big Ten. And I'm going to make my attempt of some of it as a uh, Derek Zoolander would say some investigatory uh, uh, reporting on what really makes a draft class uh, good. Because uh, it can't be judged on the day that the, recruit- the recruiting class is put together. That has some other criteria. So we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. That's funny. I almost put on the theme song. Let's try this again. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to the second hour of sports Q&A. Uh, make sure that you give us a call at 760-539-3269. That's 760-539-3269. You can listen in by calling in. You can also go to the, our uh, Blog Talk website. If you go to blogtalkradio.com slash sportsqa, you can subscribe to the podcast. You'll get an email every time that we're on the air and when the podcast is ready. You can go back and view Almost five years of shows, sports q So you reply in any fashion that you that you want to uh, reply in. But um, I want to talk about the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten, uh, if, but it hasn't been able to do uh, in a while, is go toe-to-toe with Big dogs that come out with them. Uh, I think it's a mentality change. I, I'll give Urban his props. Uh, Urban has brought a um, sense of the SEC to the Big Ten. Uh, I wouldn't say that Harbaugh has, has bought into that. Harbaugh is just doing the Harbaugh thing. Uh, and some of those things that Harbaugh does is SEC-like. Uh, but and it appeals to the players, where players, I mean, just to be in the past, just to be in consideration for players that are were considered Alabama was a victory. Knowing good and well that we're like, ah, that's not going to happen. But the, the Harbaugh mystique and his uh, one-of-a-kind recruiting antics, uh, are paying off. Uh Sadly, the NCAA is doing everything it can to, to 
<laughs> to combat everything that Harbaugh does is different, that gets too much attention. Um, the satellite camps uh, are no more. Um, so uh, I want to dig in a little bit. Um, the majority of the um, the sites have uh, Ohio State winning, locking in, locking and loading and reloading. Uh, stable uh, manner in which they, in which only they can, uh, and coming in up top in uh, the top of Big Ten, ranked somewhere around three uh, nationally. But um, Ohio State, and and I mean, once again, these mean little or nothing, uh, and that's why I wanted to go a little deeper. I feel like I'm doing a, uh, a thesis paper, a thesis paper, <laughs> but I just didn't have a topic of, I didn't have a, a definitive top, a stance on my topic, but I did have a, a definitive uh, uh, function of determining what uh, makes a recruiting class or recruiting classes uh, the best, and I, I took a couple criteria. And I looked at a three-year window of uh, recruiting uh, classes. Now, I'm going to be honest. This this task, we had our planning show yesterday. Uh, this task uh, was a, much, a little bit bigger than what I thought. Uh, <laughs> only in the fact of with, with um, a lot of my criteria outside of the team that I follow, I had to research and go to websites that house the stats or the status of these players. And some schools or I don't know if it's rivals or alumni, whoever, whoever's putting these stats up here, some of you all need to get a webmaster and upgrade their pages. So it's real hard to find <laughs> uh, where these guys are. Some of them are easy to flow through. I'm, I'm going to give Ohio State uh, uh, they cite hands down. Denver, Michigan were number one and two, and and once I got to Michigan State, it's the process starts slowing down. So Michigan State was the last school I did. So, uh, but and I will. I think I'm probably gonna turn this into an article because I got some good information, some good uh, information. But basically, I had uh, five criteria that I that I kind of looked at, and nothing too extensive. Uh, but I looked at 2000, the, the recruiting classes of 2014, 15, and 16 from uh, typically the top schools in the Big Ten, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Uh, and then my criteria were number of All-Americans, uh, the number of All-Conference, the, uh, the number of uh, starters, the number of uh, role players, and other so role players were players that I, I put that, that played at least half of the team's games. Um, I had to do a cutoff. You'll have a guy that played one or two games, and to me, that's not a role player. Um, you just got into some games, uh, that may have gotten out of hand. Other want to give a definition of other are guy are guys that either got red shirted 
uh, are stuck in the depth chart and have not broken onto the field yet or are no longer with the university. So the other compiles a large number of uh, different criteria. So those numbers may loom a little larger than others. So um, first we want to look at, at Ohio State. And uh, with Ohio State looking at these last uh, couple of, of years, uh, David hands down, and Michigan State may not want to hear that, but they really can't say nothing after this year. They're hands down the best team in, in the big in the Big Ten, even though they didn't win the Big Ten championship uh, last two years. But talent wise, they were uh, recruiting classes. They hands down had the most five stars, uh, had the most four stars as well. Um, but when you look at this. And you can, and the one thing with them is that their classes have been larger because they are kind of in the mode of kind of like a Alabama where they're basically locking, loading, and reloading. So they have droves of uh, guys that are either going to the NFL or graduating at the same time. So they are going to have classes that are very large. Where you look at uh, Michigan's 2014 class, I think that class was only 14. Um, so when you look at that, that kind of, you know, once again, it's that planning piece. Um, so that kind of sets you back, you know, and that actually was the, uh, was the recruiting class where they, uh, Jabril Peppers came on. So uh, you just look at the different things. But I'm just going to break it down. I'll start uh, uh, with Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State, two all now, when I do All-Americans, I did it based on this season. So uh, some of the data people may say is skewed because uh, I'm looking at this season. So 2000 class 16, for the most part, a large percentage of them may not have an opportunity to get on the field yet, but I had to cut it off somewhere. So they had two uh, All-Americans, uh, four All-Conference players, 10 starters, uh, four role players, and 59 other players. So remember the others consisted of guys who didn't play at least half the games, guys that were redshirted, or guys who uh, were now no longer on the team. Uh, that's a huge number, but people right. may look at that huge number being negative, but it's not. That huge number means that those guys have had a year, a lot of those guys have had a year in the program on the practice squad, and now they add to depth. And once again, that three, four-year plan is by the time that they're redshirt sophomore, they're juniors, that they will be stepping into starter roles. Um, but, but, but Ohio State did, out of the three schools I looked at, had the most number of guys who are no longer with the team um, for either injuries or through transfer. Um, when I look at uh, Michigan State, uh, of course, Michigan State, just based upon um, their uh, the season that they had, they didn't have any All-Americans. Uh, you had some, and I'm, I'm looking at consensus All-Americans or All-Americans on, on multiple things. Malik McDowell may have got, I think he got second-team All-American, but I only went with first-team. And that's the same thing with the All-American All-Conference. Uh, all it was first-team, but I didn't do second-team. Uh, Michigan State had two all-conference teams, all Big Ten. They had four, uh, four starters, 
Um, they had 25 uh, role players and 28 others. Um, the majority of Michigan State's other, I think they may only had like three or four players that are no longer with the program, but the majority of those guys were uh, were red shirts. Um, well, actually, no, no, no. Let me take that back. It was about a 40-60 a, a split of red shirt to guys who have not gotten any playing time that are in third year. So those guys are depth guys. Um, so it's interesting to see where those guys are going to go because Michigan State are, are going to need those guys. And, and if those guys are not stepped up, are not stepping up or are not ready uh, skill-wise, then they may be in for another long season. Uh, and then when you get to Michigan, uh, they had uh, two All-American, uh, no, sorry, one All-American, one All-Conference, uh, five starters, 29 role players, and 20 others. Um, and when you look at this, you have a huge discrepancy when you look at this. Uh, once again, Ohio State had the largest class uh, but once again, um, people will say, well, they only had two All-Americans, four All-Conference, whatever. They, they had the most starters out of uh, those this three-year period. Michigan had the most starters out of fresh. I mean, out of this, uh, freshman. I think they had three starters come out of this uh, the 2016 class. Um, and they had a lot of their role players were from the 2016 class as well, which means that, in my opinion, that they're getting better talent, they're able to see the field, especially when you see look at the season that they had. A lot of those players are on defense, and and and, uh, and defensive coordinator Brown said it the other day. He said, "I'm not worried about our defense. We had a talent. We're just young, and I think that's the one thing that you're looking at. I mean, I'm gonna say this, and I want to not sound biased. Uh, it appears." through the recruiting. Granted, 2014 was Harbaugh's first year recruiting, which was a, a hodgepodge type of recruiting class. Um, it seems like Ohio State and Michigan have a plan, and, and I think Michigan State's plan was thrown off from last year having that highly ranked, or the, for Michigan State, highly ranked recruiting class. Because you had a lot of those guys and you look at the season that they had, you would think, unless, once again, he really, uh, Antonio really wanted to go forward and just stick to the script, even if you're not getting the results, and hope that you get the results this year, an opportunity to get those guys experience. Michigan got a lot of freshman experience uh, this year. Ohio State had quite a few freshmen that got experience and role players. Uh, and, and starters, the, the few that did play, um, because that experience is going to be key. Uh, practice and practice squad and uh, and everything else is is all good and dandy until you get to the point where it's time to play. So, right. Um, I just think, I mean, to me, this is re- real interesting. Uh, and I'm gonna finish it up. Uh, Doing my other three schools, and and kind of follow and kind of follow this um, follow this. Found out some interesting things, and I saw his dad the other day. 
I didn't know. Uh, I don't know if it's injury or not, but I didn't know uh, Darren Drake is not long on Michigan State squad. We did, you know, we hmm. did that. That right. Yeah. We did that. Uh, you did the, the article on them when the King Cass game three years ago, I think. Um, yeah. So that was yeah, that was an interesting thing uh, to look at and just look at the attrition of guys. I mean, like you said, people leaving programs like Ohio State, they don't blink at. Michigan is getting is that way from I think from the coach's point of view, but not yet from a fan point of view. Uh, right. I think when it, when it's that point from a fan point of view. You raise your le- level of, of obnoxiousness <laughs> as a fan. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Michigan can get to that level until you get a national championship as a fan. And I think part of it is Ohio State knows that the talent either is on the roster or is going to be on the roster next year. And this is where I think this class, last year's class was a glimpse other for Michigan, but definitely this year's class is going to be that, oh, man, they're freshmen, but they can play. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where Alabama, that's where the who's who step in. I mean, look at Clemson. Dexter Lawrence, number one defensive lineman in the, the 2015, I mean, the 2015 class last year played major dividends in that championship role, in that championship uh, game for them. Uh, you have guys that there was an expectation of Rashawn Gary having the same impact, but I think for him, what kind of kept him back was all the other guys. You had Wormley, you had Taco, you had even in the middle, you had Glasgow, you had Hurst kind of ahead of him, whereas I think now because the expect the need for him to perform is going to be there, he's going to step up. And and a lot of these guys see this as an opportunity. They they got a taste, and now they're going to want more. And the 2017 class is going to be the same way, whereas, like you said, with the whole Michigan State thing, uh, D'Antonio was trying – was he trying to keep some of these guys under wraps? There was a couple of guys that, that were red-shirted into the very last – I mean, I guess he figured, i got to play these guys because we got no production from a position. And it's like, dude, play them. If, if they're showing worth or showing some type of ability, play them early. Their season is a bust. And, and I think this, the teams that don't, the team, and this is where people get it twisted, the teams that red shirt players aren't good. You figure, okay, you come to Michigan, you come to Florida State, you come to uh, Clemson, whatever pro, top program it is, we're recruiting great players. So they're going to be great enough or good enough to play, or they may not play every snap. They may not play every game, but they're going to find their way onto the field. And I think that's what, like we, what you were saying about guys leaving the program. Before, Michigan wanted – Michigan fans wanted their guys to red shirt. Oh, man, we, we wish this guy would have red shirted because now we, we may have him from next year. Um, the whole thing with DeMonte Thomas burning his red shirt against Central under Hulk a couple of years ago, the days of those wanting that to happen, I think, is going to be gone with uh, Michigan because now they're going to be recruiting a guy that, yeah, he may be young, but he's capable of playing. So I don't have to worry about Oh, wishing this guy got red shirt because his replacement is coming next year. 
especially when you factor in the number of early enrollees. We, we, I don't know if you saw the article or heard it, heard about some of his comments, but Ambry Thomas, the, the top-tier cornerback that's in this class, is already, I don't want to say talking junk, but he's already put the seed in his head. I'm, I'm trying to be one of the best cornerbacks on this team. And him being on campus now is going to give him an advantage. Uh, Donovan People Jones, Tariq Black, uh, even some of the, the the less heralded guys, they get a jump on the guys that are that won't be there till fall practice because if nothing more, they get to get acclimated to being a student athlete. I, I I've been going to class and, and practicing without the pressure. I ain't got to worry. I have spring practice, which the class load may not be as heavy. So I can come into my own. I can get at them and I can figure out some things that I need to to be ready to contribute. And I think they had 13 guys this year. Those 13 guys are going to contribute in some shape or form. um, And that's what happened last year. You had the guys that came in early, except for maybe Kareem Walker, and it benefited him so he could get acclimated to the academic side. Because I think if he wouldn't have came in early – he might have transferred because going to Michigan was overwhelming for him on that side of the plan of being a student athlete. Whereas now he can, he saw what happened. They kind of righted the ship with him, and everything is fine. And I think that's what the key is for. That's going to be the new key for these early enrollees is, yeah, I can get in the weight room, I can get in the playbook, but I also can get in that classroom and figure out what it means to be a, a college student when I don't have to worry about game day, when I don't have to worry about fall practice and I'm trying to win a spot. Spots aren't being necessarily handed out now in in, in winter conditioning. I mean, you can show your worth, but it's not life or death at this point. Yeah, not, not at all. And But, I mean, all, all those things add to it because you get these guys acclimated the system that much earlier in the program understands, you know, they're ahead of that curve. And and those guys, it puts those guys ahead of a guy coming in in August or June or July whenever they come in because now I have a, a greater sense of understanding and I had that balance. It, it's a huge adjustment. You you talking to a walk-on at a, at a Division two school at issue understanding that balance between uh, student athlete, uh, and the demands were nowhere near. And I was, right. I was, I was not as solid as I needed to be. But academically, I knew what, I knew what was what. But I had to figure it out on the real sense. Uh, and some people don't have that. And if you don't have that, then that's where you had a problem. And like you mentioned, Kareem was able to be able to figure it out and stick through to it after, you know, having have a little bumpy ride, and I think that bumpy ride is going to help him on and off the field. But, yeah, I mean, the Big Ten, um, you know, on the national stage uh, is really expanding much more than it has historically. And I think it's only going to get bigger, uh, especially when I mean, you look at this in, in today's climate of, of college football, of the non-conference games. I mean, you're going to get to the point, I think, within five years, 
that two out of the three or two uh, two out of the four non-conference games are going to get be against other Power Five conferences. Um, mm-hmm. And with one of those games being against the the upper tier or equal tier, so you figure uh, Michigan versus Clemson, uh, Michigan State versus LSU, those type of games. Because I mean, we've seen the the, the cross Power Five games, but it's usually uh, Iowa State versus Michigan or Ohio State versus uh, Wake Forest. Now we gonna now kind of ramp it up to the next level where you're playing the the quality competition, or at least you assume that the the, the matchup is going to be a lot even. Because things change. You, you never know how from year to year, year to year. Last year, uh, I mean, look at Michigan State. People mm-hmm. assume that that was a that would have been a good matchup two years ago, but last year they fell in the tank. Notre Dame fell in the tank, and if you got them on your schedule, you banking on that team being good to help your 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 uh, your resume, your perception nationally. It actually hurts you playing them. Yeah, it does. It does. All right. We're jumping off the National Signing Day, and we're going right into Super Bowl week. And we got five minutes for 930 hours, so we're going to hop right into something we, we rarely talk about. I'm a, I'm a betting person, but only when it comes to horses. Uh, but the big thing when it comes to the Super Bowl are, are the prop bets. Uh, and the prop bets go from anything, things that are really not game-related to to other aspects. So I'm going to come up with, or not even come up with, share with, with the audience and with Q a lot of uh, some of the ones that I found to be uh, interesting. So what I found is the how many times will Trump's name be mentioned during the game, and I think it was the over and under was three times. Uh, I'm going over with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then also, who Trump would pick to win the game? I would say he would go with the Patriots, trying to take the, the, the right the patriot the patriotic route. Uh, and plus, he's from the East Coast as well. Um, here's another one, which is always funny and always when Super when the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, will Belichick wear the gray hoodie or not? <laughs> Uh, another I good one. Yes. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, Would the ball hit the goalpost on any kicking play? Nah. You see, see, they put any kicking play in, which means kickoffs. So you get the, the, the kickoff that hit the goalpost. And it said the goalpost, so the goalpost is the entire unit, in my opinion. See, they, now you're getting the semantic. So it can hit the bottom, it can hit the padding, it can hit anything. And they say any kicking play, so that's kickoffs. It's not necessarily just field goals. So I would say, yeah. Uh, here's one, and I, I can't remember what this happened in, in, in uh, a Super Bowl. Will a spectator, illegal, a spectator illegally enter the field of play? I don't I think, think so. Yeah, me either. Uh, here's one. I, I missed this one looking at uh any player does a Dirty Bird TV celebration. 
See, Atlanta don't. I don't think Atlanta has those type of personalities that would do it. So nah. I would say yes, and I'll say it'll be Legarius Monk that would do it as a as a a, a mock. <laughs> yeah, as a mock. Um, what else is on here? Uh, oh, they yeah, I even want. Uh, how long would the national anthem be? Over under two minutes and twelve seconds. Uh, how long would a halftime show be? Thirty three uh, over under thirty three minutes and thirty seconds. Uh, what color uh, will uh, who's the dude who's singing? Luke Bryan have on blue jeans or other pants? So there are eyes on him wearing blue jeans, eyes other pants. Of course, the coin flip, uh, flip, whether it's heads or tails. Uh, the first song that Lady Gaga sings. Uh, the color of hair that Lady Gaga, whether it be blonde or any other color, I think it's blonde, one to four, and any other color, five to two, betting odds. Uh, the color of Gatorade dumped on the play on the on the coach's head. So it gives yeah, you I see that one. Uh, Purple, clear, orange, yellow. Mm-hmm. I'm going with clear. I say go. You gotta go with the classic if you gonna do the dump. You gotta go with the orange, the original Gatorade. Um, and we, you know, we talked about some ourselves. Uh, we talked about uh, Matt Ryan, two hundred fifty yards over uh, passing. Yes or no? Uh, Julio Jones, hundred yards over, or who would be the top receiver? Um, it's a, I mean, it, this gets interesting. This adds intrigue. Um, but once again, I still like betting on stuff that I don't know why. I don't know. Even though it's human element, I think I trust the animals and the animal instinct more than I trust the humans, especially in the sport, the sport like football. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, when you look at uh, oh, here's a good one right here, and that's wow, that's interesting. So here, here it is: player touchdowns over under. Let's do this. One. All right, Brady, three and a half over or under. Um, under. They're gonna run the ball. The Garrett Blunt over under one point five touchdowns. Over. Chris Hogan over under 1.5 touchdowns. Uh, under. Matty Ice over under 3.5 touchdowns. Under. Devontae Freeman over under 1.5 touchdowns. Under. And Julio over under 1.5. If he goes over, Atlanta wins big. I'm gonna go under. I would say if Matty Ice goes over three point five, Atlanta is winning too. Uh, then they got even an odd, the jersey number of the first touchdown, even an odd. Uh odd. Because you figure Hogan, Edelman, and Julio all were odd numbers. Yeah. Uh Combined, yeah, I think even little Garrett Blunt were odd uh, numbers. 
Yeah, I think so too. Uh, combined. Yep. Combined unused timeouts at halftime. Out or even? Oh, out or even? Yeah. Even. And then combined total score. Out or even? Mm. Okay. All right, here's one. Last one we're going to do. Commercials. This is yes or no. First ad in first quarter includes an animal. Yes or no? Uh, yes. Okay. I don't. This second one, I have no idea what this is. I guess it's a it's a commercial that everybody knows is coming out. Snickers Adam Driver during second quarter. So I guess the Snickers commercial during the second quarter. Yes or no? Um, I guess I'm going to go no. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And then the last one. First ad in the third quarter is for food or beverage. Yes or no? No, it's for a car. All right. Let's get into our our, our break it down of the game. So when we look at the game, uh, we 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 find ourselves in a, in a, a historic moment. Well, we have the number one offense versus the number one defense. Uh, I think scoring, yeah, mm-hmm. scoring. Um, yeah, now the reason why I say that because you you got some people that use the, the the yardage as their their blueprint and as their litmus test, but I hold scoring defense a lot more high esteem than I do yards. So you can allow a lot of yards if they don't score; it don't matter. Um, so you're looking at the situation where in the past, uh, you look at uh, with teams with the best defense, you favor to win because of that defense. Uh, and I don't even know the odds. I'm gonna assume that, that, that New England is favored to win. But last time I, I saw it, it was three. So I don't know how much if it's crept up beyond that. But yeah. But I don't think New England is favored to win because of their defense. Uh, I think that may affect the odds, but I don't think people think that the New England's gonna win because of their defense. And they, you know, people think that they're gonna win because of Tom, the Tom Brady effect and the Belichick game plan and effect. Um, but when you look at this, and once again, you know, it, it's kind of a a low key stat surprise slash surprise that New England being the the top. Uh, scoring defense, uh, t- uh, defensive team, um, where you really, really hadn't, even when they had some quote unquote stars on defense in the past in their early Super Bowl uh, championship years, as New England being a defensive stopper team, it was always about what Brady can do and how he can control it, and now he has a defense that can assist him. What does that defense need to do to be able to slow down the the Falcons? Um, first of all, I think they just they have to give Atlanta multiple looks, and and this isn't to say they are able gonna, they're going to be able to do it, but they have to pressure Ryan. He cannot sit in that pocket for 
an extended period of time and be able to find his second and third option because we already know they're going to do a good job trying to limit Julio and maybe even whichever running back is in at the time, whether it's Devontae Freeman or Tevin Coleman. But if he has enough time to get down to Austin Hooper or to a low low, the tight ends, or even getting to uh, the second and third options in that sense, they're in trouble. And the unfortunate thing about it is New England isn't a pressure defense. They don't pressure – their defense It doesn't make their hay getting sacks. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where is Matt Patricia going to change the game plan just for this or are they going to do what they know what to do? And that means possibly allowing uh, in that, that Falcons offense to put up the yards, but when it comes down to it, uh, clamp down in the, the, the red zone. So I think the key for them is not allowing big plays, those chunk plays of 20 yards or more, or definitely allowing Julio to have a, a 30, 40-yard touchdown play. That's going to, keep, that's going to be their key. Because if they make Atlanta drive, it could help them. Yeah, I think, I mean, as strange and crazy as it sounds, I think you want to make, I mean, like I said, I think you have to make Atlanta one-dimensional. You have to make them a passing team, but then you have to get that pressure on them without having to send a blitz. Uh, on Malcolm Butler, he's getting his wish. And, and this this is not a Papa John commercial. If you shut down Antonio Brown, you know, this is Julio in his prime, uninjured. Um, this is where you earn your money. Because uh, that's, you know, that's going to be that matchup. Uh, and I think uh, even making Atlanta one-dimensional, New England still needs to be careful, uh, especially around bringing pressure, especially I guarantee you there's going to be multiple two running back sets with with Coleman and Freeman back there. Both great yeah. catchers out of the backfield. Both great, horrible mismatches for linebackers in space. They need to take advantage of that. Um, you, take oh, yeah, advantage, yeah, you take advantage of that enough, you create opportunities, additional opportunities for Julio. Because you get safety. Now, this, I got to ask you this question. Uh-huh. Speaking on the defensive side, do you risk putting Malcolm Butler, who you trust as maybe their lockdown corner, on the island with Julio and then maybe shading coverage? No, actually, no, no, this is not it. Uh, putting Eric Rowe, who's a, a, a good-sized cornerback, and shading coverage to Julio and leaving Malcolm Butler on the island with Sanu? Or do you just put Malcolm Butler on Julio and just hope he can get help from time to hope he hope he can hold him down, but it's, uh, occasionally send some help his way? I think you got to do. I think you have to do both. I don't. I don't think you need to stick to the script uh, because you allow the, uh, the Atlanta's offense to now game plan against that. Because a lot of times people stick to that. And I'm not saying 
if it's successful, you're going to go and do alternate play every other play. But what you need to do is keep them off balance. And once a guy, especially in, say, for instance, if that bracketing is killing Julio and Julio's getting frustrated, what's going to kill him more is uh, Matty Ice thinking that he's going to be bracketed and he got one-on-one coverage and his, and his, and his Malcolm Butler and he's not getting a rock. So the thing is, you can control the pace and control the flow by controlling and making the other team outthink themselves at times. But you have to have success because the thing is, Sanu can, uh, Sanu can kill you too. Um, and you don't want that to happen as, as, as the Patriots. So I think you have to do a combination of both. But I think bracketing uh, Julio in the past in other teams that had teams that can do did it successfully was very beneficial. Uh, right. Very beneficial. And he and, and he gets frustrated. You just don't want to let him get it in his face. Um and you know, if you can keep him in front of you uh, in front of him, I I mean I'll be they would be happy as a as a as a, a, a giddy little teenage girl if Julio had ten catches for eighty nine yards and everything was in front of him. Right. Because he's not killing. So the thing is is just how uh how do you plan to do that? Um and how does Atlanta plan to get Julio the ball? You have to get Julio the ball in space, whether it's jet sweep, whether it's a screen, whether it's a, a crossing a pattern, a slant, whatever you need to do to get him in space. But you still also still have to go vertical. You gotta go after him, even yep. if Matty gotta out throw him just to let him know because if you if you do that and even if he doesn't beat him it can also make the defense change and, and think about what they're doing as well. Um, and and I'm, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I know I play, and I'm probably going to play maybe one or two more times, I played the matchup on Madden, and every time I've seen the, the – I, I, I won two games and then I lost playing with Atlanta. Uh, the, the one game I lost, LeGarrette Blunt rest for almost 170 yards. But the two games I did win with Atlanta, it was because what you just said. They they called themselves uh, leaving Julio or whoever was checking it, whether it was Rowe or whether it was Malcolm Butler on the island. And every time I saw that single high safety, I went up top. And that's mm-hmm. the thing uh, Ryan is going to have to do is attack when he sees it and knows it's there, he has to attack it. And New England, on the flip side, is going to have to do a good job of masking their coverage. You may show single high safety, but give them a different look. You may show too, uh, too deep and then switch off of that based on how everything goes. So it's going to be a bunch of counter punches, punches and counter punches in this game on that side of the ball. Uh, and and that's the thing. I, to me, I think a lot of people have been talking about the the lead up to the game has been boring. There's no controversy. There's no stories. Uh, but I think this storyline here and this potential throughout the game 
and how the ebbs and flows are going to come from this. And in essence, five plays, five play calls, five plays successfully executed or not is going, I think, going to make the difference in this game. Um, yeah. So when you look at this and we talk about the stars on these teams, who's a key player not named Ryan or Julio that you're looking to have uh, or make a, make a difference in this game? Devontae. Um, like you said, there's going to be a matchup problems for the, the Patriots as a receiver, but if he can get them – 60 yards rushing, and and that seems like a low number, but if he can keep a drive going with a five-yard run or make a key catch on a critical drive, that's going to that's going to be the thing that wins it for Atlanta. And I think he's done enough in the past this season and definitely last year to be a, uh, to be that person that. Yeah, they're going to game plan against them, but as the thing goes, like, okay, most teams know what the other team is going to call it, but can you stop them? And I don't think if they get Devontae Freeman going where he has four or five catches in the first half or he breaks off a a 10, 15-yard run, that's going to give him the clue that they can't stop him and it's going to feed, it's going to set up for the flags and pass, which is going to make it even more dangerous for Atlanta to get things done. Yeah, to me, I think uh, I think it's going to be uh, Sanu. Uh, I think he's going to have to take advantage like he has done uh, this season when the team has made a conscious effort to attempt to shut Julio down. And I think early success from Sanu, uh, as long as it's not forced, will increase the opportunities for uh, Julio. Uh, you know, if Snoo gets the ball in space or gets some good, uh, you know, some key possessions, it'll change it because, yes, they can see, somebody can say it all day, yeah, I'd rather Snoo beat me than, than Julio, but if Snoo is beating you, you're going to make some adjustments. <laughs> right. And I think that he's he going to be a key factor in the Atlanta passing game, and and you know, I, I, with the running backs, the receiving running backs, uh, I think if if uh, Atlanta can't run that ball, they'll be able to pull a Lions running game move on them and use <laughs> screen and the, the slants and all the other things to be able to. to to produce some, some running running light plays. All right, so for New England, key players not named Brady or Edelman. To me, I'm going to go somewhere where uh, most people won't think, and they, I think they're, they kind of overlooked him. But uh, I'm going to go with Deion Lewis. And I'm going with Deion Lewis because he's going to be a change-up, that change of pace when Garrett Bunt is the uh, is the wrecking ball and the pounder, and he's the closer. But I think Deion Lewis is going to get, and it's not going to be a large sample size. I think he's going to get five plays, but he's going to have two or three that are going to be big plays, but there's going to be um, 
key first downs, something that's going to be game-changing. Hopefully, it's not going to be a turnover, but uh, I just think <laughs> he's being overlooked. And when you game plan, you can't game plan for everyone. And I think he has a skill set that they, I think they really could take advantage of and utilize against Falcons. I mean, essentially, he fits that role of Devontae Freeman for the Falcons, but and, and that's a good one. And I think a lot of people are forgetting about him because of what they've seen happen with Blunt in the run game. But the person I'm going to go with is uh, – dude, I just lost my – the, the tight end, uh, Martellus Bennett. Um, this is a guy, this is a team in New England that lost their best player offensively besides Brady when Grunt went down. Everybody was writing off New England. Oh, they're not going to be able to get there. They d- depend too much on Grunt. He's too much of an offense and all that. And while Bennett isn't the same type of player, I think he has the opportunity to make some big plays. He's He's still a big guy. He's 6'6", I think 240, 250 as a tight end. So with the the smallish but quicker uh, Atlanta linebackers, he provides, he can be that, if he goes into that rebounder, box out, NBA power forward mode for tight ends, he can pick up a couple of big plays and definitely can be that red zone um, threat, whereas, if everybody else in the roster, Hogan, Edelman, um, get them down, and he'll be the guy that Clint, that finishes it up. And I think he's going to, if New England wins, he's going to make, like you said with uh, Lewis, two or three plays that determine the, the game. I mean, going back to the national championship game the last two years in college football, O.J. Howard, I think he's going to make those type of plays if New England wants to win. Hello? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, my computer. Man. All right, so we got 10 minutes. We're about to go through a plethora of a game uh, aspects. So, answer the question. Everything has to be 30 seconds or less. Are you ready? You prepared? Yes, sir. All right, first. Atlanta wins if they force Brady into two turnovers. Okay. Mine is Atlanta wins. Well, at least two turnovers. Okay. At least two turnovers. I say Atlanta wins if Matty Ice throws for 300 yards. Uh, New England wins if. I'll start that. If. Their defense holds true. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, New England wins if their ball control keeps Atlanta's offense on the sidelines. I agree with that. So we look at this. Let's look at key defensive players in this game for each team. So Atlanta. Uh, Vic Beasley. Led the league in sacks. He has to get, and this is going back to my Madden thing, when when I won those games, it was because I got pressure. And Beasley had one game where he had 
three and a half sacks. So if he can get two sacks in key moments, that would definitely help. Yeah, uh, defensively it's hard uh, not to uh, to pick Vic just because he's a uh, he, he's a young stud. But I want to say the wily old vet who's been consistent and had a resurgence in Atlanta, Dwight Freeman. Hmm. I just think he's gonna have a key set. Uh, he he can he can definitely have a key sack, maintain the sack, one of his classic strip sacks. Uh, and he, you know, he would love nothing better to love to do it against Brady, who killed him multiple times when he was in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, coaching experience, how much of a difference does it will it make in this game? Early on, a little bit. I think Belichick's experience with the dealing with the the popping circumstance, the the extra time needed for the the national anthem, the extra time coming out of halftime. Those are that's where it matters. Um, I think once we get into the the five, three or four minutes into the game and out of the second half, I think it's going to balance out. But how? Belichick gets the advantage, and it wouldn't surprise me if he takes the ball um, in the kickoff to start the game. Um, I think it's going to be uh, coaching experience different. It's going to be in the second half adjustment. Um, for some reason, I see Atlanta getting off to a fast start. Uh New England, last couple of Super Bowls have gotten off to a slow start. Belichick is looking to change that, but I don't think that they will. But I think his second half adjustments are going to make the difference in the game when you look at the coaching experience because a team that has been there before has that common force in the coaches versus a team who hasn't, who's excited, ahead, in the game that most people, even though they're only three-point underdogs, don't think they can win, uh, could loom large. Um, we got our own – we're not they're not prop bets, but we got our own over-unders before we get to our uh, predictions and MVP. So – Sacks over under four, and that's total. Um, over. Okay. I'm gonna say, neither. I'm gonna say that's gonna be the number four. Uh, turnovers over uh, over under three. Um, I say neither is gonna be at three. I'm going to say two. I think both quarterbacks are going to have an uh, interception. Uh, rushing yards over under 75. For both, I mean, For both teams? teams? No, not both teams combined. Both teams individually. Oh, uh, over. I know Garrett going to get that, but Atlanta, I think. 
they may have to kind of set it up for the past. So, yeah. Um, I definitely say over for New England. Uh, I'm I'm going to say over for Atlanta, but it's going to take a Matty Ice scramble to, to make it over 75. Uh, passing yards over under 250. Um, over for both. No, no, no. Over for Atlanta, under for Brady. Okay. Uh, leading rusher in the game. Just overall? Yep. Um, Garrett Blunt. I'm going to go with somebody. I'm going to go with Coleman. He's going to have a big run mm. and it'll jump him over. I don't think he's going to have over seven, eight carries, but he's going to have a big run, like a 40, 50-yard. Uh, leading receiver. Um, I'm going to go with Julio. I'm going to go with Julio, too, but I know them popular answers uh, among most folks would be Mr. Hogan himself. Uh, mm-hmm. And now we have three minutes, a minute apiece for our predictions, and then 30 seconds apiece for our MVP. I'll let you go first. Your prediction. Um, it's going to be a lot closer game. Well, I'm going to just cut to the chase. I think my heart is saying one thing, but I think I'm going to go with the upset. Atlanta is going to pull it out uh, 27 to 24. And they're going to get Unlike in most situations, Ice is going to get a big touchdown to win the game after trailing in the fourth quarter. Okay. Um, I don't think I have ever in the Super Bowl been against Brady. Um, with good reason, even with the two losses to the Giants. Um, but I think it's going to be out of his hands. Uh, I think they're going to attempt to try to control the clock by running. I think this Atlanta has that offense. That offense is well-oiled machine. Um, and I don't think New England is going to be able to get pressure with this blitzing four. Um, they're going to have to disguise the fool out of their defense to be able to, to – to get Matty Ice to go back into his old his old way, um, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be, like I said. I think it's going to be closer with people. I think it's going to be twenty four to twenty. New England, Brady's only interception coming on the last drive, leading the touchdown. Um, that's where his interception will take place. So I have Atlanta winning it. MVP. Uh, I'm gonna give it Matty Ice, Matt Ryan, because he's gonna have that touchdown drive. I'm gonna give it to to Vic Beasley because I, I I just see him get having a big sack, maybe something foolish like a strip sack, 
fumble recovery for a touchdown. Uh, and if you do something like that against Brady and beat Brady, uh, Matty can have his yardage, but if he only has two touchdowns and a pick, I don't think that's going to be MVP uh, worthy, in my opinion. So I'm going to go with a non-popular. I want to check what the odds are on that. I'm going to check to see what the odds are of Vic Beasley being the MVP. I'm going to have to lay some, lay some, some backs on that. All right. So, folks, you got our prediction. You know where we are. Make sure you check us out. The podcast will be up momentarily. Uh, check us out on the website, blogtalkradio.com slash sports Q&A. Also, www.sportsqanda.com. Uh, we will be back with you next week. we also going to be back revamp. We're going to have a new day for you folks. We're going to have some new content. We're going to have a lot of new stuff going in 2017 with Sports Q&A. So make sure that you stick around because it's going to be a hell of a ride. But with that, enjoy your Super Bowl. Be safe. Hope your team wins unless your team is Patriots. Uh, (laughs) I just want to be right, folks. I just want to be right. but other than that, folks, we'll see you next week. Peace. One and the two deuces. Peace. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.